Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Chris Brogan, a repeat guest. At least, I don't know, we'll talk about it, but maybe fourth time on or so. He's such a nice guy. I like to have him back. He's also the publisher of, and CEO of Owner Magazine and author of about seven books or so. And we're going to talk about his most current or most recent called The Freaks Shall Inherit the Earth, Entrepreneurship for Weirdos, Misfits, and World Dominators. So, Chris, thanks for joining me. John, thrilled to be here. Thanks every time I get a chance to hang out with you and your gang. Well, so we are going to talk about your new book, uh, but uh, I'm sure that there's a couple people out there that aren't familiar with Owner Magazine, and it's an awesome publication, so I'd love it if you'd just kind of give us the, the, the view of what that is. Thanks. It's a digital magazine. It is a how-to-minded business magazine because when I started looking around at all the business magazines out there, they were mostly giving who-to kind of information. So there would be sort of this great interview about why Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook is awesome. And I just kept thinking, Patricia, the lady who runs the chocolate store in my town, how does she learn anything about how to get more people into her chocolate store by reading an article about how great Mark Zuckerberg is. And so I wanted to make a how-to magazine. So I got about 20 or so people uh, willing to join my band of merry men. And we write uh, articles once a month basically on theme uh, all around something to do with how to do something to make your business better. So I like to help people grow their capabilities and connections. It would be, you know, akin to the kind of folks who like a duct tape marketing mindset. Well, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I've I've kind of pat myself on the back for years of, you know, when, when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, all those other speakers at the event gave some big picture stuff. You actually told us how to do stuff. And I, I try to remind myself always be practical, be practical. You know, and when you don't do that, John, I just finished a speech at uh, Mike Stelzner's social media marketing world. And I was feeling pretty proud of myself until this guy really called me out and said, you know, you, I'm sure everybody else is really happy, but I didn't really feel like I learned anything. Yeah. And I, you know, that stung, uh, but he was also right. And so I, I'm glad that that's how you do it. And I would have to say that my goal over the next while until I forget again is to really not only be funny and entertaining, but also uh, give people a lot more practical advice. Yeah. But I, if I can like provide some counseling for you, I was in that room and I heard that talk and that talk had a different objective. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think you did exactly what you were trying to do. That doesn't mean you're always going to please everybody when you do it. Well, you know, definitely true. Uh, but what I said to the guy is, I said, you know, really what I think in your, you know, your opinion's not wrong. I said, but what I, why everyone left that room thinking they loved me is because I served them cake. Yeah. What was rather interesting was one woman uh, wrote a, a really negative opinion of the uh, speech. And she said that I had a lot of disdain and negative things to say about my colleagues. Huh. Now, that one I took quite a lot of umbrage with because I said, I felt like I spent a good majority of that time praising them as smarter than me. Oh, yeah. And that, yeah. You, you name checked everybody in the room except me, by by the way. Oh, did I miss you? Oh, what a jerk. <laughs> you know, I, I guess maybe because we save our best. That's uh, right. That's right. Oh. But it's true. You know, you, yeah. uh, I mean, and totally not to blow smoke up your butt or anything like that, but, but I mean, but you're getting ready to, but I'm going to, <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you've always been such a solid hitter in my mind for so long. And it's always weird to me. This is a real question I have is why is it that people, uh, always forget the solid hitters. You know what I mean? You, uh, Marsha Collier, there's all these people who do really great work who just don't really get the time of day and deserve it much more. So let's talk about your book a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm curious because it's not always obvious, and it's certainly not obvious from, from book jackets and titles. Um, 
Would you say the major message in this is that, hey, if you're a freak, you're okay. Don't worry what everybody else says. Or are you saying, hey, maybe you need to get a little freaky? It's a little bit in between. It's, uh, I would say that if I had to sum up what the book's about, the, the big thing is that it's a book for entrepreneurship for those people who maybe don't feel like they quite fit that mold or don't feel like they fit in. So it's kind of like if you're a little weird, you really still could make business the way you want to. Um, it's also sort of a dare to be a weirdo uh, the way you truly are kind of book. I mean, I think all the way since like fifth grade or so in school, we start getting told that we're not good right. and we're not right and we're not who we should be. Yeah, yeah. And you get, you get like cut out from the herd and put over in the corner in the playground, right? Right. And so you either learn how to fake it and, and fit in. Some people don't and they're just absolute pariahs their whole school life or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, you kind of come to that happy medium where you're like, well, I'll show you this weird because you've told me it's socially acceptable. Uh, but I would say that the real good opportunity or the real big uh, win is when you find out who you really intend to be in your life, not unlike some of what you wrote in the commitment engine, then if you start building your business around that, there's a great opportunity yeah. there. So that's well, what the book's And about. you know, one of the things I think is really cool is when, when I bump into some guy I went with to high school with that I haven't seen for 20 years, and now all of a sudden, he's a really cool guy. He's really got a successful business. And, you know, he was he was a guy that we, like, made fun of, or I don't know, he was in that circle and not in my circle, whatever it was, you know. And then you you come back, and, and boy, it's full circle. You think, wow, you know, that that. That he he actually knew what he was talking about back then, and I, maybe I didn't. Well, you know, that's the weirdest thing that I get to deal with a lot is so people in high school will say to me, "Wow, I had no idea, you know, this is what you were into." And I I always like to say, "Well, it's because you never wanted to talk to me." Right. And then uh, what'll happen in business is people will say to me, uh, "You know, when I worked for you at the wireless company, I had no idea that this is the kind of stuff you were down for." And again, I would say, "Well, it's because you really only wanted to talk about." you know, very, very specific and limited kinds of things. And I mean, I've always had these messages that long before I had a stage, I was telling people this is kind of what, the way I thought the world was shaped, but well, I'm me, pretty let, excited. Let me challenge you a little bit on that. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, I didn't know you back then, so I have no basis for sure. this, but um, is it possible you've gained confidence of the confidence and you write about this in the book to basically wear that out there and, and share it with, you know, you don't care if somebody doesn't like your opinion now or maybe in your early part of your career and, and maybe younger folks that, that are thinking about reading this book, uh, confidence, is a, confidence to kind of fly that flag is, is a big part of it? No question. I mean, it definitely, uh, it's something you have to grow into and it's something where, you know, very few people really end up kind of having themselves figured out just so. And I would say that um, the things that I believed I certainly said in very different ways uh, until lately, and now I can say them a lot louder and a lot more uh, with with greater intent. So that's most definitely changed a lot. And I would say that um, there's a lot of hope for you, even if you're kind of currently uh, not you know, feeling like you're who you want to be and all that. There's a lot of hope that you can uh, express yourself the way you want to be after you, you know, do earn a little of that confidence through trying new stuff and failing a lot and training into what you intend to be. Well, and I know from watching you and watching what you've been doing around this book some too, I think I think there are folks that maybe feel a little like, hey, I, I'm not sure I'm ready. I'm, you know, I've what my idea is so different, and I see some of those people maybe rallying around your message. Almost, I don't know. Do we want to call it, call it a cause or a community? Sure. I well, I mean, I, I think that 
uh, I've always been a lot community minded. And uh, in putting this together, what I've really started to say to people is that, you know, when you used to feel like you didn't exactly fit in, maybe there is a place for you. And, um, but that's a little difficult too, because that's like, you know, kind of trying to run the society for nonconformists. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're a, if you feel like you don't really belong, then how do you know you're going to belong with us? And maybe you will find the people you belong with. And, you know, I, I find it really interesting. I think this age is the absolute golden age of communities being able to find themselves and find each other online. And I, I like to joke that, you know, there might be some collection of people out there that love to collect their toenails in a jar and share them with each other. And, Though I have no intention of ever joining the toenail sharing community, you all can find each other now, and I hope you're happy. Well, you know, and and that that gross uh, example aside, um, <laughs> is uh, uh, there a double-edged sword in this though? A little bit in that uh, I know people that are like, oh, finally I found my people. I'm I'm I don't have to grow anymore. I can just you know <laughs> go sit on the couch with them, and you know, I'm done. Well, yeah, you're right. And there's a huge, uh, huge risk of thinking that once you find your community, that all will be right in the world. But, you know, it, it's community is one thing and marketplace is another. And you might feel, find where you fit in, but you might not necessarily have found a business uh, value to that. And that isn't to say that you have to have business with every community. There's some communities where it would be kind of strange to just, you know, build your business or whatever. But I would say that there's a lot of opportunities that once you start figuring the um, that subset of community that you serve, uh, what might be the marketplace. I mean, you still have to stay alive and well in learning how to build, you know, things that are useful to them, and you have to really serve that community. And I think that that never ends. And so, to your point, like you know, you really can't stop learning until you're dead, and that doesn't change in this uh, context either. So, uh, how autobiographical is this book? You know, it's not. A lot of people presume that, but it, it's actually um, an official bio, biographical of my children. Um, in a lot of ways, I wrote this book for my 11-year-old daughter, who's soon to be 12, and my 8-year-old boy, because they're both weirdos. You know what I mean? They're both... My boy uh, wants to create and edit software and do something in the gaming industry, um, and he is just likely never to be in a cubicle. And my daughter's a bit of an artist and a YouTuber and, you know, very creative and same. I mean, I just can't imagine her signing up to be, I don't know, whatever they call the junior grade people at a marketing firm or yeah, something yeah. like that. So I wrote it for them in a lot of ways, but I, in the process, have done everything I can to explain to people you know, what I've learned from myself, but also... I got a chance to interview a lot of weirdos and, and that was kind of fun for me because I, I got a lot of validation from talking to grownups. So um, from a practical standpoint, business standpoint, um, I, I know that sometimes people are like, well, I don't, I don't want to be too narrowly cast because it's harder to make money. So you know, how, do you, how do you argue with the, the folks that are going to say, well, I'm, I'm not going to go to my complete true sort of freak nature because that will turn too many other people off? Yeah, I mean, there's probably, I, I tend to say that there's there's kind of a, imagine a, a boundary on the left and right, and you never want to be compared to Lindsay Lohan or Justin Bieber uh, in your freakishness. Like, there's probably kind of this small edge, and I would say that I'm willing to be a lot more weird than you, uh, because your buyer is a little different yeah. than my buyer. Yeah. Um, but that isn't to say... That so first off, the the spectrum is very different depending on who you're talking to. Um, Amanda Palmer, who is kind enough to endorse the book, uh, is is thrilled to death to uh, hear that somebody's listening to her music while they're editing sex articles. That you and I probably wouldn't share that kind of a tweet or or yeah. information. And it's it's most definite that 
you know, there's different comfort levels for different people. I mean, if you and I say, for instance, worked with the church, um, we'd want a different level of freaky, but it's, pro- it's probably, you could probably be more weird than you think you could and still be that. I mean, I think for instance, uh, and this is not a religious conversation per se, but I think the new Pope is really interesting. Yeah. I would love to hang out with the new Pope and I, I couldn't say that about the last three or so popes. Yeah. So I just think that it's a, yes, you should probably think a little bit about who you're intending to be. And yes, there's probably still some level of filtering. Uh, I think that full, raw, naked, pure anything is usually not useful. Uh, you know, there's there's vitamins that we need to keep our body alive that if we ate in their pure form, we would die. So I think it's probably true of our personalities as well. Well, and I think it also takes a little defining what what you're in some, in some ways you're you know the classic definition of weirdo um is you know that person that you'd look at and go oh and you'd point at and whatnot and i think a lot of what you're talking about is actually be weird enough to have a point of view uh, to have something that you really stick to and you believe in it doesn't have to be something that the world or the public classifies or stereotypes as weird um as much as i think it's being willing to to stick to a narrow point of view Yeah, you know, I I find it it's an interesting time because uh, we're not all that far away time-wise from that uh, Duck Dynasty controversy where there's an interview in GQ where this gentleman states his his views, his his faith-based views on why he thinks uh, homosexuality is a problem, etc. And this causes this vast schism because the insanely left media says that's not okay. Um, the insanely right uh, fan base says that's his opinion. And in fact, we're kind of with them. What I liked about the whole storyline, I mean, it, let's not talk about the, the exact topic, but let's say this. Um, Duck Dynasty says what the guy says what he says. The show says maybe we'll take this off the air. The people speak back and everyone says, you know what? I think he's got a right to say what he wants. It's just people can choose to support that or not. So that's that's kind of like phase one. Phase two that's interesting, Cracker Barrel restaurants decide, well, we'll take down this this material. And and the people who go to Cracker Barrel said, hey, we like Duck Dynasty and we're going to stop going to your restaurant. And they said, oh, never mind. Just kidding. You know, I find it's a really I mean, so. Are, are the Duck Dynasty guys freaks? Absolutely. Um, I think they certainly fit the category because the other way to use the term and the other way that I've been really finding it interesting is to me, Sam Collagione from Dogfish Head is a freak. You could get in an elevator with him and he would talk for six hours or more about why he likes the particular hops he puts in the beer that he makes. Mm-hmm. Duck Dynasty guys, same thing. So to your point about having a point of view, uh, this is no time for fence sitting. It is definitely a time where uh, people who have a really strong uh, perspective can communicate it to others who have similar mindedness. And it doesn't have to be in any particular political or sociological leaning. Uh, but you really do have to let those chips fall. You have to say, I'm not trying to be all things to all people. And, and to your earlier caution, still don't have, you shouldn't intend to be uh, it's so narrow focused that after all seven people you've sold to have bought it, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> so um, a lot of the folks that, that are going to, I think, gravitate towards your message are what I would call artists or creatives. And, you know, if they're going to run a business, you still need systems and objectives and processes. And so, you know, how do you I know in the book you kind of coach people on all those things that you're going to need. Uh, but how do you get that person that maybe isn't process or systems thinking to to really come to that in a way that's going to allow them? Because it doesn't matter how great your art is, right, if you can't keep the door open. 
Yeah, I try really hard to point out that, you know, underneath all creativity, there's still systems and whatnot. Like if you're a watercolor painter, then you don't switch to magic marker midway. Yeah. You know, you, you stick to watercolor and that, that all creativity is still, you know, bounded by constraint and that, and that we need that. And that also that, you know, you don't have to, you could choose to just be a crazy artist and just do that. Or you can be an artist who chooses to be, you know, earn and live off of what they did. And so, uh, for instance, I, real estate professionals are artists to me or can be, you know, and I think that, you know, the, the art of selling a house in a way that keeps you selling houses for a long more time, kind of like this book referral engine I once read, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of art in involved in making that kind of experience happen. I think hoteliers who are, who do their job very well are artists. So, I mean, Let's not mistake that the book is, uh, the, the one difference is the book is for someone who likes Richard Branson a lot more than they like, um, say, Bob Iger, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and no negative to Bob because I've had the pleasure of interviewing him and I find him a great guy. But, you know, I, I'm looking for the kind of person who doesn't think a $3,000 Armani suit is the pinnacle of the visible success, but instead maybe owns their own island and likes kite surfing for fun. So I I think that it's a, if I had to sort of pick an end point on a, on a compass, John, I would say that uh, in teaching people these systems, I'm saying if you want, you know, the kind of success that you define as being important to you, then we're going to have to, you know, make some systems to get things pushed to where you want them to go. So when I, excuse me, started my business, Over 25 years ago, they didn't call us entrepreneurs. They called us uh, jobless. Uh, right. But, but uh, today, you know, all these 20, I bump into them, and, and I know you do at every conference, these 20, 25-year-olds, that they're on fire to start their own thing. They all want to be entrepreneurs, and, um, and which is awesome. Uh, but you spend a lot of time talking about the difference between a true entrepreneur and more of a solopreneur. So you want to you kind of give your, uh, your thoughts on, what you're actually advising or, or maybe what that difference is and who that difference is for? Sure. And, and in my mind, I think that you could, be, you could pick either path again. I mean, I'm a big fan of choose your own adventure. And I had the great opportunity and uh, burden of speaking to an, a high school uh, for an entire day, starting at first period and ending at the end of the day. And when I had the chance to talk to the superintendent and the assistant superintendent of the entire school district, very progressive school district, by the way, they said, well, what would you have of us? Like, what would you have us do? And I said, the real big difference is I'd make choose your own adventure a strong part of the learning curriculum. Like I would make sure people understand that. So now as a solopreneur, you could do that all over the place. When you start building a business like an entrepreneur, um, risk and reward are basically what define an entrepreneur. But the way we've started to translate that term is is we've tried to say, you know, build a business that's sustainable without you always having to be there and build a business that, you know, can span and can add some jobs and things like that. And I guess I'm down the middle on that because, I mean, my own business is a three-person shop and I could see it expanding out to more, uh, but it does sort of require a creative kernel at the, at the base of it. And I'm not selling basically, I don't know, popcorn stands that could go to every fairground. Um, and for instance, Julian Smith is. I mean, he's building a system that doesn't need him to be there day to day and that you know could be sold to somebody else and his company Breather. And so I think that both need to be considered. And, and the way I sort of coach people is if you are just going to be a solo act, you just have to know ahead of time that you're going to be, you'll hit some limitations. Like you're really just going to be, uh, you'll hit a certain wall. Like even Tony Robbins, everyone sort of thinks of him as this one guy who stands up on stage, but there's 50 or 60 people who work with him. Yeah. 
And so I guess at the end of it all, my whole thought is that you're going to have to find, um, you know, your way into what kinds of systems matter to you. You're going to have to find your way into uh, what level of business you're comfortable in. But what I'm least selling, John, and, and you know this, and, and holy cow, do we run into this guy a lot. I'm least selling that idea that you should be like sitting on the beach with palm trees all around you as your business just chugs along. Yeah. I don't know how to make that kind of business. And I don't find the people who usually sell that business especially genuine. Yeah. Well, and, and I do think that this entrepreneur idea, this, if you're going to grow something, build an asset, and, and in many cases with the intent of selling that asset, I mean, obviously you you don't sort of accidentally grow your way into that. I mean, you, you have some three and five and ten year you know, vision uh, for how you're going to get there and you start planning that you know well before. I mean, I don't know too many really successful entrepreneurs that woke up one day and said, gosh, we've, we've sort of succeeded our way to you know, $100 million somehow. <laughs> Right. right. No, I mean, that's, you know, in, in, again, in talking to Julian Smith, because he's sort of doing this grown up person business these days, uh, you know, he's got his goals and he raised a, a seed round and an A round uh, to create the software and everything that makes this company breather work. And now he's, you know, doing his next bit of diligence to get to that next level. And when I've worked with startups, I mean, I guess that's probably the other thing to say, too, is I build owners more than I build startup founders. Um, I had an opportunity to go to San Francisco about a year ago now and sat with some people who make a really well-known product. And I, I just said, hey, I've got these three great ideas for revenue. And they stopped me right about there and said, well, we don't really need to worry about revenue for a few more years. And I just said, I, 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 like, I didn't have a sentence for a good minute and a half, like dead air between the two of us in a room, which is really awkward. And then I just finally said, you know what? I, I really appreciate and respect that perspective, but that also means I think our meeting's over and I'm so grateful for your time. And I honestly, I just went down to the food court and had some sushi uh, <laughs> because I just didn't have a next move uh, with some kind of person who doesn't think that revenue is important. Well, and you know, um, it's interesting because I, I see lots of, I wouldn't call them entrepreneurs necessarily. Uh, I would call them business owners who you know got into a business and it, and it provides a nice paycheck for them. Uh, essentially, it's a job. Um, and to me, one of the things that I really struggle with, and I think is a real, should be, a, uh, is a real challenge, um, and should be a topic that there's more information on, is is the amount of people that you know they, they work 25 years in a job. Quite frankly, in many cases, work more hours than any job would actually ask them <laughs> to work, um, and at the end have nothing in terms of an asset to show for it. I mean, it's basically if they stop coming to work and and filling the orders or doing whatever the business does, uh, it's over. Um, and I think that that I'd, I'd love to hear your view on that. Whether you know whether you're building a job or an asset, I actually wrote a blog post about it today. Um, you did just today. Just today. I read it. Yeah, and it, and it's something that. That sometimes troubles me, but again, I think that there are also people that can be really happy just, you know, doing, creating the job they wanted to create and uh, then just, you know, punching the clock one last time and going home. It's really difficult for me to envision that kind of a world. Uh, although at the same time, what I've done, you know, many times over is I've just had a real tough time uh, figuring out how to extract myself from the value proposition of the experience. Right, right, um, right. And, and so and that's you know, what you have to do, right? That's ultimately what you have to do. Yeah. I mean, that's really, if, if we, if we took all the conversation you and I just had and just boiled it all down to just one tiny little piece, we would be saying a lot of different ways. Hey, you, I think it's really important that you figure out how to, you know, extrapolate what's going to be the, the absolute core kernel of your business. Yep. 
and I don't really have that. I would say that it's it's definitely a um, my problem is extracting the Chris Brogan out of the Chris Brogan empire. Yeah. And my next big project, uh, which I won't yet talk about, it, it's sort of like a a peer group kind of a thing. Uh-huh. I would say the next big project is that. I find a way to help people. Seth Godin wrote it a really long time. Tribes, we need you to lead us. Yeah. And I continue not to believe it. And I continue to confuse the fact that I could still be the life of the, the event and not uh, and not be the core of the business. And I'm working on that for my next effort. Cool. Well, so any uh, anything you want to tell us about where, uh, other than obviously all the places people buy books, uh, do, are you, did you set up a website for this? You know, it's funny you ask that. I, I really have been back and forth on that. I bought a domain and then never did anything with it yet. Um, so far, I've got a hashtag. Let's just ah, say okay. that. Yeah. So the hashtag is Proud Freak. Right. And you can put Proud Freak either into Instagram or Twitter, and you are likely to find uh, people who aren't talking about my book, which is kind of fun in a have the screen facing you when you do that. Um, and then also, um, you know, what, I've, what I'm enjoying about it, though, and John, this has never happened in any of my books. I mean, you were wildly successful with duct tape marketing. And, and even though trust agents hit the New York Times bestseller list, I mean, people did not lose their mind and say, oh, my gosh, I so identify with this. Yeah. But people are, you know, who have looked at sort of an advanced version have said, I can see myself in this particular book. And, I, and I'm awesome. really excited about that because I'm never happy about my own books. And I'm, of course, not happy about this. I'd like to rewrite it again from page one. But I'm happier that people are happy. Yeah, you know what I think is really funny about uh, writing a book um, is that then I go out and start really spreading the message, speaking to groups, hearing feedback, getting people's, well, what about the blah, blah, blah. And I just think, wow, there's a whole lot of stuff for the process of actually promoting a book teaches you so much about what should be in the book that that I'm kind of with you. I, I often feel like I'd like to go back and rewrite it. Yeah, well, I mean, so the, I'll tell you one quick behind-the-scenes story, which might be fun for duct tape folks, is that um, when I finished this book, I started asking my friends who were smarter than me. I, I said, I made myself a stupid mistake here. Like, I usually speak to big corporations. That's who pays the bills for, like, really big speeches. And I wrote a book about entrepreneurship, which you would imagine many corporations don't want yep. because yeah. they'd rather you go be a, a cog in the machine. So I, it took me until a, a shower a couple of weeks ago to figure it out. And I went, oh. Here's what they want, though. They do want people to take ownership at their desk, and they do want people to think like an entrepreneur and think with sort of you know freakish level of commitment to the project. They just don't necessarily want them to all run away and join the circus like I did. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that finally came to me. But that's really, I mean, I'm that dumb. Your new book is, you know, obviously huge corporations want you to come and talk about the new way of selling. I mean, who doesn't want that? Mine is like, hey, you should go join the circus, which turns out not to be um, a big corporate theme. <laughs> you know, though, um, one of the chapters in my book to these big corporations is that it, it literally says they should hire freaks. So there you go. We're, we're, uh, we're, we're closer together than you think. We're simpatico. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Chris, thanks so much for joining us and looking really forward to the freaks shall inherit the earth and just really the whole message and, and mission that, uh, that goes behind it. Thank you so much, John. I'm thrilled to be back. <laughs> 